This is the Right Way Podcast. Right Way Podcast. The 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 Right Way Podcast. Hi, I'm Karen Sepulveda, author of The Women's Circle, and I'm here today to chat with Samuel on the Right Way Podcast. Yes, thanks so much for that introduction there, Karen Sepulveda. Hello to you all listening to this particular episode of the Right Way Podcast program. It is I, your host, Samuel Elliott. Person whom you just heard introducing this episode is none other than the today's guest, who is Karen Sepulveda, talking to me about her book, The Women's Circle. Before I talk a little bit about that, let's talk a little bit about Karen Sepulveda. So Karen is an author, a podcast producer, and creator of Short Guided Meditations, which I believe has informed her work there, at least at some point within The Women's Circle, as we'll delve into. As for The Women's Circle itself, so this particular book uh, follows two different timelines, two different women from two different timelines, Anna, a uh, Chilean-born, uh, Chilean citizen, Anna, who immigrates to Australia. Uh, so that her kind of story takes place at the beginning and throughout the novel, kind of beginning within her upbringing in Chile and then coming to Australia and sort of what befalls her there without delving into too much details there. And then there's also the other timeline as well, kind of uh, alternating between the two, which is set in sort of the latter half or the later, latter half, yeah, I would say so, 1770 of the 18th century. Um, and that follows Aislinn, 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 I believe. And Aislinn, uh, and again, uh, kind of, uh, you find her to be within a sort of brutal regime surrounding an English village of the time. Uh, again, I don't want to delve into it too much. I'd much rather let Karen talk uh, about her writing there and about the novel itself. So what I'll do is I'm going to ask you to all give a big digital round of, round of applause to Karen Sepulveda talking to me tonight about her book, The Women's Circle. Karen, thanks so much for joining me on the Right Way podcast this evening. How are you going? I'm really well, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. It's so good to have you. I must say your setup is a lot better than mine. Once again, <laughs> uh, my, the, the, the I, podcast... I think I just got excited. I got excited to have something to do, so I did a little bit of a setup. <laughs> did you really? Um, what's this? What's this? There's like a—is that the color of the carpet, or is that like a special light? What's no, it's like it's like a light. It just lights up. My husband—he's in marketing, so he has mm. all these little gadgets. Mm. Um, so I borrow them for things all the time. <laughs> There's a rose quartz crystal type yes. thing there as well. Really big one. I don't know if you see it. Yeah. Readers can't, or listeners can't see no. it. I certainly can. I like Beautiful. that. I have a lot. I do have a lot, but that's my favorite. Yeah. That's a good one. Look, let's let's start off with an oldie but a goodie. I'm pretty sure you've listened to a few episodes now, so you know how it kind of goes. I always like to find out how the idea for, in this instance, the women's circle came about. Where did it come from, Karen? How'd you get that idea? have a few little bits and pieces like a lot of authors it's kind of like you know you just over the course of a few years you have bits and pieces drop into you um yeah so the idea for Anna I was actually on holidays in Bali Mm. I've never been before and I'd heard it was so magical um so I really set the intention before I went okay I want to have a complete idea for my new book when I'm there I had, I had Ashleen's storyline, which is my dual timeline. Um, mm-hmm. I'd written a chunk of that, but I knew it wasn't going to be a whole book. So I really wanted, like, a contemporary storyline to come to me. And we went on this one day, and then I forgot all about it, just enjoyed my holiday. And on one day we went to, like, a butterfly sanctuary where you just walk in and there's literally hundreds of butterflies flying around you. And they were so beautiful. And I put you put your finger out and it just landed on me. And one butterfly like laid eggs on my hand even. And seriously, like I got this image in my head of like this woman called Anna who just touches a butterfly. And I just knew she was kind of broken. But when she gets, when she touches that butterfly, something just fills her like a hope or that warmth, you know, kind of fills her up. And that was the little idea I had. And then on the way home in our... um with our driver, the entire of Anna's story just downloaded in my mind. So I was like, okay, I can do this. Um, So that's where that bit came from. I didn't think about the women's circle yet, um, but then I had an interview. Like I used to do a podcast as well called Letters to Our Yesterday, Mm. and I interviewed a woman who actually runs women's circles. I'd never heard of them before. And so she told me all about them during the interview, and I was like, oh, okay, this sounds really interesting. And then she asked me to stay after the interview and, and like, take part in the women's circle. 
So I did, and it's very much um, how it was for Anna in the book in that first women's circle where it was so bizarre. We started by holding hands with each woman, looking in each other's eyes for three breaths and then hugging. And the whole time I was like, this is the weirdest thing I have ever done. And like my heart was beating. I was just like, what am I in a cult? What am I in, you know? But then by the time I sat down and relaxed and we did a meditation together and we talked and shared and by the end of it, I was sharing things with these women I hadn't shared with anyone else. They were sharing things with me. We were laughing. We were crying. Um, And when I said goodbye, it was like two hours we spent together. They felt like friends to me. And I just thought, what an amazing experience. I have to include that in a book. And that kind of came in um, with Anna's story. Yeah. So there's all these little bits and pieces that kind of came together. It always does sort of aggregate like that, doesn't it? It's wild yeah. that, um, that you kind of already had. Is, is it pronounced Aisling? Aisling? Uh, Ashling. 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 It's, it's wild that you already yeah. kind of had the story for Ashling going and then that kind of the rest of it kind of fell into place with Anna and the women's circles or the titular women's circles. Um, with with Anna as well, and this is this is interesting as well because what you're talking about, like your sort of initial sort of apprehensive, somewhat apprehensive experience about the women's circle, kind of then also mirrored what Anna then sort of felt when she first went into it. Uh, but that was kind of somewhat informed by her sort of Chilean background, where I think she said, "I wrote the quote down. It was something like uh, Catholic country. It must be in my DNA." So that sort yeah. of explains this sort of level of apprehension, but. But at the same time, not because it was it was sort of like this, just this normal sort of reaction. And yet it sort of was somewhat informed by this character's backstory, even by that stage. It's crazy that that sort of worked out like that. Yeah, um, I think, you know, I grew up um, quite a strict Catholic as well. And you do get that Catholic guilt kind of put into you from a young age, not to mess around with things like that. And more so like my husband's Chilean. And so his families, you know, they fear psychics, um, mm. but also are quite drawn to them as well. So that's kind of what I tried to include in the book as well. And as um, I think her mum and grandma, I mentioned that um, they notice that people go to this bruja, which is a witch, mm. Um, mm. what they call a psychic. It's the same thing, psychic or witch. Um, they go and see her, the neighbours, but then they also fear her. So yeah, and I think it's kind of like that in society as well because there is so much now with spirituality and everything mm. and sometimes it's called really weird. People call it woo-woo and all this kind of stuff. And there is. There's extremes of it that is really strange. And definitely when I was there, I thought, what is this? But at the heart of it, it's no different to anything else where people are just connecting. And, um, yeah, like it's, it's I don't think it's as weird as sometimes we think it is. Definitely not, and I did like that um, within and sort of upbringing, seeing um, seeing people leave what the the, the the witch equivalent is, but then so so going there and attending, but then leaving and then like crossing themselves, kind <laughs> of like absolve of doing that, but yeah. still having some veneration or respect for for this person and their perceived sort of powers like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, tell me a little bit about Anna as well, because I, I mean. You know, there's always the, the the challenge of like whose story is it, you know? And I, I feel that that was it was largely Anna's story. And I kind of wanted to, to get a little bit of background, particularly about um, you know, how we meet her. You know, she's she's 30, she's never had a job, all this sort of stuff kind of informs how her trajectory is gonna go. Tell me tell me a little bit about that, Karen, how we first meet her and how that sort of informed the remainder of the story. Yeah. I love Anna so much. Um mm. she's such a strong person but just makes so many mistakes and is very vulnerable in many ways and I think um, some of my influence with writing especially her drug addiction um, that came from another interview I did on my podcast with a beautiful woman who shared with me um, off air just as a conversation that her daughter was um, a recovering drug addict and had been so for quite a few years um, and when we chatted, like she shared so much with me, I think it was one of those things she'd been holding on to for a yeah, very long time and kind of just shared the whole horrific journey. And, um, yeah, I just remember being really overwhelmed by all the details and just thinking this is just so horrific that someone can go through all of this. Um, but at the time, this this mum was quite positive, you know, thinking mm-hmm. her daughter had recovered and, you know, they were kind of on... Um, you know, smooth sailing from now on. She was over the worst of it. 
And then a few months later, I found out her daughter had overdosed and died. Um, And it was just, oh, it was so, so sad. And Mm. it just made me think that journey's never really over for a drug addict, you know, that's always, or any kind of addiction, it's always there under the surface. And I wanted to capture that in Anna. I wanted it to be a positive story and uplifting and for her to have hope. But I wanted it to be realistic in that she doesn't just come out of jail and she's fixed, like, okay, I've done my time, I've, I've done my rehab, I'm fine now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that's there and that she's got to battle with as she tries to make a new life for herself. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I think the thing that I kind of liked about that and sort of the sort of uh, reintroduction to a society uh, that I thought you quite you captured quite well at one point was she was kind of lamenting, kind of almost wanting to, to go back to silver water because there was obviously there was the deprivation of freedom but there was the the opportunity to to be deprived of the opportunity to to go and 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 sort of relapse when it came to to the use of drugs is that something again that was 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 that colored by your research was that something that you sort of found or yeah kind of research and I think just you know when you put yourself into your character's shoes Mm. that's just kind of how I felt it might be because it kind of would take the responsibility. I felt like a heaviness of Anna because she had the responsibility to keep herself on the right track, whereas if she's in jail, that kind of responsibility is taken away from her because her day is set out in this kind of routine. And I felt like that's kind of it was just all too much for her in that moment and she didn't want that responsibility anymore of trying to stay on the right track and she kind of felt for a minute, oh, it would just be easier to go back in and, you know, yeah. Very, very much so. Talk to me a little bit about because she's, you know, despite all the odds, she does, she does get out. There's no sort of recidivism in terms of the, at least the, the initial, the initial component of of her release from from prison. But tell me about her and first encounters with the women's circle and sort of how that informed what she ultimately sort of pursued with them, like the sort of sights and sounds, which sounds very much sort of replicated from your own sort of experience yeah. there. What is the women's circle in this sort of overview and how did you want to sort of depict that and draw the reader into that sort of uh, that sort of society, I guess, is a fair way to describe it. So women's circles are very real. They exist, mm. you know, there's so many of them around. They're growing in popularity. And I guess you'd call it kind of an alternative support kind of group in a way that's um, in the book it's written as an alternative therapy group and um, that kind of counts as part of Anna's rehab. That's why she does go along to it. She has to do an hour a week. Um, And so basically this women's circle is run by Nina and it's a time for women to come together. They do like a joint meditation. They set an intention for that meditation And then it's just kind of about sharing how they're doing, not necessarily giving advice because I don't think people always need advice. I think sometimes they just need to be heard and seen. Um, And that's the experience of women's circles. And in Anna's particular one, she's really drawn to this beautiful ancient rose quartz crystal that sits in the middle. So when she touches that crystal, she has a very strange out-of-body experience where she suddenly sees a woman in a different time, different place that she's never seen before. Um, And then from there, I guess she's kind of haunted by her in a way um, by seeing more of her story. And we as the reader get to know a lot more about that story, which is Ashleen. It's so fascinating. Like, and this is one thing that kind of boggled my mind, but I found relatable. Okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a woman. I don't identify as a woman, but I still found that I could, I, I found this to be authentic and relatable and resonated with me. And that um, with Ashleen, the, the, the Rose Quartz sort of crystal in which was there, I was impressed and I could believe that there is an object that can be imbued with this power and can essentially be a portal within this regard, like I, like I fully do believe that. I feel like that's that, that doesn't just extend to, to crystals. I feel like that can be going and putting something on within like an old jacket within a Vinnie's type situation. Yeah. It's something that there's, that, that's, that memories uh, are sort of imbued within seemingly, seemingly inanimate objects. Talk to me a little bit about that kind of, because I, I really feel like that's shone through and that was one of the main yeah. things that you wanted to explore throughout the Women's Circle. I'm glad that that came through. I just think it's fascinating to think Mm. about the connection we could have to people from the past and what they've gone through and how that can help us in our situation. You know, what we go through, um, sometimes it's out of context with what other people have gone through in the past. We forget how hard it's been for generations 
that have already lived. So I think that's really fascinating. And I love the idea and I love the thought that, like you said, objects can hold energy. So they can hold people's memories and um, because I remember, I don't even know where I heard this, but I heard that houses can hold on to the energy of the people that have lived there. So when you move, um, someone told me when I moved to put like sprinkle salt in the corners of the rooms and then vacuum it up to take away your energy from the house so that you're not, because you know, sometimes you walk in a house and you're like, oh, it feels weird in here. It feels like there's something else there. And I think that's kind of an example of, um, I mean, we are energy. We have energetic bodies. I think that's scientifically true anyway. It's not so much spiritual spirituality that we're going into. So it makes sense that our energy would seep into the things that we're around all the time. And imagine if, you know, I picked a crystal because I love crystals, but imagine if that held the energy of the life of someone else and not as in she's in there. I, you know, I don't make it like that at all. Mm. There's no... Um, imagining that Ashleen is actually in there is just holding on to the memories because that was once hers. And yeah, and somehow Anna has the ability to tap into those memories through it. And I think it's fun to believe in things like that. I think it makes life exciting. It does. I'm with you 100%. I do feel like, like yeah, yeah. I never thought that it was like that, that Ashleen's soul was 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 yeah. internally trapped within within this this sort of inanimate object. In fact, I kind of liked, and this is when it was starting to get real high sort of concept, uh, mind-blowing sort of stuff, is that there was two sort of time frames, one preceding the other within historically and within the passage of time, but still kind of like... Uh, coinciding with one another or overlapping at the same time so they could see one another that's when i was like <laughs> I, I accept but i was like whoa this is when it's yeah. starting to blow my mind a little bit yeah talk, talk just a little bit about that as well yeah. yeah i love things like that like i'm one of those people that can go down rabbit holes so if i hear oh, yeah. a theory i can go and research i'm like oh and i'm like you it can blow my mind and i cannot understand it but i can accept it and be like mm-hmm some weird reason that resonates with me I don't know why and that is the thing with timelines I've heard many times that time doesn't really exist the way we think it does in our reality it's just because that's all we know but a lot of people say that time's not linear Um, it's kind of all happening at the same time and all these timelines are running at the same time and I don't know how to understand that but I think it's fascinating to think that the past is actually happening as we're happening you know, and I tried to touch on that just the tiniest bit because it's not speculative fiction, so I didn't want to go too much down that mm. road. But I just wanted to plant that tiny little seed in there, and I'm so glad that you picked that up. No one's ever mentioned that to me, that particular <laughs> point before. Um, I think my editor did ask me to reel it back a little bit. I think I went a little bit into it and we pulled it back a touch. Um, but, yeah, that Ashleen kind of sees Anna too in one point, and, yeah, I think it's just one of those, yeah, fascinating things to think about. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating, and it's interesting that you're able to kind of tell you to, to pair back a little bit, just because it's just, it's just, it's just such a, a, a seemingly endless sort of concept. As much as what it's talking about, the execution of this idea is just like something that you just keep going on about. So, yeah. you know, yeah, absolutely. But look, the main thing in which I wanted to think about as well, and we've kind of, we, we've obviously we've touched on Anna and a little bit about like, there was a kind of. Uh, I thought that it was really interesting hearing about how Sydney was described during her youth in Chile as this sort of city of dreams and all this sort of stuff. But with Ashley and 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 her her sort of life as well, I wanted to know was that was that something that uh, historically that you had found, or was that something that kind of emerged from your own imagination? I was hoping that you were going to shake your head rather than nod because I was hoping <laughs> that that wasn't a real thing. No, I was like, oh, that, my goodness, no, it's not. It's oh, not. Thank a, God. Oh, that didn't God. really happen. Oh, no, no, goodness. no. <laughs> Well, just 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 for just for the listeners that haven't as yet read the read the women's circle, tell to give us a little bit of an overview as to the the life in which we're introduced to with Ashleen and what she kind of is subjected to a little bit there in her society. Yeah, so she lives in 1770 in mm. um, an English village called Porindon, and that is a real village. Like it okay. really does exist, and it was flooded and cut off from the rest of Britain. So I kind of played around with that idea, like what could happen to a little village if it's cut off from the rest of the country and kind of no one knows what happened to it. It exists now as, um, I think they call them like a museum town. So it's still there with a few ruins, but no one knows how it's depopulated. So, yeah, and then I just kind of use my imagination to imagine this world of, you know what, 
what if a small group decided that's it, we're taking over and it's going to happen, this village is going to run the way we want it to be run. And so this group called the Enforcers, who are just a brutal regime, decide they kind of violently take over the village and they decide that from the age of 18, women are going to be separated from their family, forced to marry and have no contact with each other whatsoever. So women are essentially isolated from each other. But Ash and Ashleen has been living with her husband, who's actually a very kind man. Um, mm-hmm. There's lots of kind men still that live there. It's just that they kind of have to go along with the rules as well as they be, they're punished also. And she gets up the courage to defy the rules and try and find her sister and mum. And then from there she starts secretly gathering with other women, including her sister, just not really having a complete plan at first but just knowing that when they gather they're getting stronger and stronger and they can come up with a way of maybe overthrowing this regime. Yeah, very much. There was mentioning at one point as well when I think that someone was a bit erring or they weren't a bit sure about if they should continuously congregate like this, as, as is understandable, I mean, given the sort of uh, brutal regime which they're under. But they talk about how, uh, like, together we only have, or see, when we're by ourselves, we only have our hope, but when we're together, we're sort of this united force and it's adding to that. Talk a little bit about, a little bit more, Karen, about this sort of strength in numbers, not just strength in numbers, but this this unity of the ideal and how that sort of brings together oneself and then obviously acts as this sort of force. Yeah. I think it's always so important to remember that we're always stronger when we have other people. Um, Mm. You know, it can be really, really magical when people come together with the one um, intention, I guess. And especially when we're like for women, it's such a, I don't know, women can just so easily relate to each other. Like when I went to that women's circle Mm. and I was um, understanding what they were telling me. I didn't know them. I didn't know their situation. But women just have a way of relating to each other, just intrinsically knowing how each other feel. I think it comes quite naturally. And, And I think just gathering like that, it's just this beautiful, I don't even know how to put it into words, almost like a vibration when they're gathered together with that one intention. And I think that that's what they were all feeling at that time. Like, okay, we don't know how we're going to overthrow this regime. We don't have an actual plan yet. But as we're sitting here, just being together, just talking again, instead of being by ourselves, we can feel our strength growing. And it made me think, I wish I wrote down where I see these things, but I remember hearing this story and I know it is true, but I can't remember which country and I can't remember who shared the story, but there was a village where um, the women used to go down by the river and wash all their clothes. And then when washing machines kind of came along, a lot of the women were suffering from depression and isolation. And it was because they they had missed out on that time of gathering together Mm. because Mm. as they sat together to wash, um, that was their time where they were just talking and sharing. And, yeah, so... That kind of makes me think of the what's so special about women's. Sorry, I'm going off the tangent of Ashleen's story, but what's so special about women's circles as well? Because we're, we live such busy lives usually that we forget to just sit and talk with each other and, you know, maybe not go to a movie, not go and go and be busy, but just sit and just mm-hmm. talk. Like, you know, how are you? Listen to each other. Um, look into each other's eyes because I think that was when I first did that, that was so weird, the eye gazing thing, because you don't often look straight into someone's eyes, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable at first. And Anna in the book thinks about, and she can't remember the last few people she's been spending time with. She doesn't even know what color eyes they have because she hasn't been connecting in that way. So Sorry, I went off in a whole different You didn't. Tangent. You didn't. You really didn't. You're answering the question. Absolutely not. I don't know where you got that okay. from. No, for sure. No, definitely not. No, you absolutely answered the question. And I mean, like, that was the thing as well that I was so interested in because it's like you you yourself said it's so hard to describe. And I mean, you did it. You did it definitely well because probably by virtue of you not kind of going into too much detail to try and describe something as ineffable as that. Like, it's just beyond words, the sense of sort of unity and kinship that, you know, it's, it's just it's just this, this sensory sort of yes. sensation that that, that, that is uh, you know probably I, I, I myself will never will never experience it unfortunately because it's a it's a lived experience that, that can only really be achieved in this sort of um this in this in the titular women's circle I would suspect talk to me a little bit about because I, I know that you've, you've done some 
understand that like there's some meditation that you're, you're well-versed in that you've done quite a lot of that. And I wondered how much Karen that informed the, the writing of some of the scenes. Cause it seemed like you, you described it with a, with a sort of empirical experience, <laughs> particularly with Nina. And there was one point when Nina talks about breathing the words and I want you to talk a little bit about that because that to me, when I heard and I looked at, you know, on your, your website and you're describing a little bit of the meditation, I was like hundred percent, that is definitely an empirical experience that you've subsequently informed this character. Yeah, I yeah, I absolutely love meditation. Um, mm. Probably I've been, I think I started trying to meditate maybe four years ago or so, and I was one of those people that thought I was really bad at meditating because my mind wouldn't stop. I'd kind of sit down to meditate. My mind wouldn't stop. I'd give up and I'd feel even worse mm. <laughs> because I, like, failed at it. Um, but then, I, I don't know, I just kept trying, trying it. And when I found short guided meditations, that's when I was like, oh, okay, I can follow their words and I can relax and I can feel myself relaxing. And then it kind of got a little bit addictive, I guess, in a way, because I'd feel so good once I'd meditated. I kind of kept it up and did longer ones. Um, and then I actually even did like a five-month mentorship course with like a meditation mentor and really got into it. And uh, what I discovered is that, yeah, everyone has a completely different meditation practice and it can be something as simple as when you wake up in the morning, sitting and taking three deep breaths um, and just setting an intention for the day. That can be your meditation. It's just as powerful as sitting down for an hour guided meditation. You know, it, it's mm. completely different for everyone. But to me, what meditation is, is just a calming of the mind so that it's not my busy thoughts that are going on is it's something else it's um connecting to another part of ourselves and and i relate that to creativity because um when i am calm like that ideas will flow really really well and really easily so if i get stuck on a certain point in a story i don't keep trying anymore i just okay i'm gonna leave that maybe that night or the next day i'll do a meditation and normally just an idea will come to me at some point. Um, you know, it's not magic. I think it's just just that calming. Some people do that when they have a shower. They have great ideas in the shower when they're cooking or gardening or, you know. Um, but, yeah, for me, meditation really is about just connecting to something bigger than myself and just remembering um, it's not all about the day-to-day -day stuff. There's a much bigger picture and it really helps me to just remember what's important in life. When I meditate, I often picture my kids and I picture things that I'm grateful for. And it just, that's kind of like my special medicine. It just makes me feel better all the time. Yeah. So you've talked a little bit about like the appreciation of self and the understanding of self. And I feel that one of the sort of uh, towards the climax without going into any sort of detail, there was, a, there was one line that uh, stood out to me and it felt like, so there was, a, you know, one of the main components of the overall novel, The Moon Circle, is, is this appreciation of self. But then there's an appreciation for others as well. And I feel that um, there's Anna sort of experienced it within the halfway house, certainly isn't the right word, but the, the house in which she's a boarding house, a boarding house. Yeah. So the, the, there's different sort of characters, but there was towards the latter half. So I sort of, you showed that. And then there was a line towards the end that says something worse, the effect of you're not the only person who has suffered that connection. I was trying to, I was looking down at my notes and it's, it's, I can't <laughs> read my own writing properly, but the gist of the gist, of, I'm sure you can understand Karen, is, is yeah. this understanding of not just oneself, but an understanding of, and the appreciation for other people, disparate souls and how that in itself can then bring to this, again, the sort of pervasive understanding of unity that you've, that you've really delved into. Tell me a little bit about that. And that sort of line, if you can, and I've obviously butchered it with my paraphrasing, but if you can remember. Okay, I think I, I'm pretty sure I know which part you're talking okay, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, good, good, I don't good, want good. to give anything away either. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, good, 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 good. Um, yeah, I think it is just that realisation because I think especially when you have suffered a lot, and, I mean, mm. Anna's been through trauma. There's no doubt about it that she's been through trauma. And often when we have been through trauma, we do sometimes get into that victim mentality, yep. which is a really hard one to get ourselves out of because when you're in it, it just kind of you get lower and lower because it's everything is happening to you. There's no control. So it's kind of the lowest vibration you can kind of be is to feel like that, like everything's happening to you and that you're the only one going through it as well. And they're genuine feelings. People feel like that when they're low like that. And I, I feel like they have every right to feel like that too. The amount that some people suffer is just awful. 
But the thing is, when you're in that, you can't get better and you can't heal. And I think the biggest step in healing is to remember that there are other people who have experienced what you have experienced and what have you been through. Um, we're all here on our own separate journeys, yes, but we're all connected as well. I don't know exactly how we're all connected. I don't think we'll ever understand in this lifetime. Mm. But 100%, we're all here. Oh, I'm going to say another quote, but I don't know the person who said it. I'm terrible at this. But um, there's this beautiful quote that gives me goosebumps every time I hear it that is, our biggest purpose in life is to walk each other home, which I just think is the most beautiful you know, we're all kind of here to help each other and we get put in this life with some very different characters and much like a story, you know, they're all kind of grouped together and we just have to do our best for each other. And I think when you realise that, that oh, it's not just my journey, it's everyone around me is having a journey as well. It's a big eye-opener and it's a way to kind of step out of your pain, out of what's happening to you. So true. That's so, so true. And like we've talked about, we've talked a little bit about that, you know, the individual self and looking back retrospectively on what we've, what we've, what we've encountered and endured or, you know, prevailed over as well as this appreciation for, for others as well. And then I feel like, yeah, there's ultimately, and you've not only have you just described it beautifully and definitely as well, they can, but you've also put it into practice within, within the women's circle and how that sort of, without giving anything away, how it sort of ends as well. There's, there's this understanding of paying it forward. Yeah. It's like yeah. not just those around you immediately now, but in sort of perpetuity. So there's people that presumably when you're gone, will will be able to benefit from, from however you've, uh, you've sort of left the world and ideally a better place than uh, than you found it. Talk to me a little bit about that because it feels like that seems to be some of your your beliefs as well and how you've exemplified it within towards the latter half of the women's circle. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I don't know it's kind of this idea of like, well, why do we have certain experiences? Why do we learn certain things in our life? It's I don't think it's just for us. It's to mm. share with other people. So. Um, why did I learn? Why was I so set on learning about meditation? I don't know. Like it did benefit me, but I also think it was because I was supposed to share that with other people, you know, and there's just some things that I think when you're so passionate about, and I think a lot of writers will recognize this straight away because often we don't even know, like, why am I, why do I have this sense of urgency to get this story out? Like, where is it coming from? It's definitely not just for the author. It's to share because that story is supposed to be in this world. And yeah, I think that's a big part, going back to what our journey is here, I think it's a big part of it to share what we've learned. And I think sometimes the harder something is for us, the better we are at sharing it or the better we are at teaching it because we know how. So for my meditations, I make them really short, really easy to follow because that's what I struggled with. So, yeah, I think that's, that's one of the big reasons why we experience things. So well put. That's so so well put. Especially with like the the harder it is for us, the easier it is to kind of like convey or something. That's just it's just so you know, you really nailed it, nailed it on the head there. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously it's so good because it's it's you know, it's 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 so fascinating. Like, you know, I've been doing this for a while and it's always crazy in terms of people's different mentalities, the way in which, you know, their their moral compass, how they act. Um, some, you know, draw just from the wildest imaginations and far flung, you know, create these crazy scapes these crazy impossible scapes and other people such as yourself, uh, you know, very much uh, draw from their own sort of uh, way of life and their sort of moral compass there. And what, what, de what defines that? And then subsequently spin these stories, which again, I mean, particularly with the women's circle, I mean, there's two different timelines, very different, seemingly different characters, like so different. And yet it's just, it's just all kind of huckens back to ultimately this, this feeling of self and this understanding of oneself and their place within the world, I guess. Yeah, that's you put that really beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's like a scattergun effect. Like sometimes, yeah. talk, you know, like it's, you know, you're bound to, you know, the, a broken clock is right twice uh, every day, kind of thing. But yeah, talk to me, talk to me about the writing of this because I noticed that, and I was really interested. And I must say, I must, I must tell you right, right away that I'm always an absolute sucker when it comes to acknowledgements and seeing what people say and who they thank and stuff like that. Because I, as a bit of a, a person, you know, want to be man of letters myself, scribbling in, in books and such. I always like to, to see how other people have done it. And I noticed there was people that you thanked in Germany and stuff like that. So tell me how this, tell me how the women's circle really came to be. Cause it sounds like a very interesting journey, much like the novel is itself. 
Yeah. Oh, the the German publishers, that's actually for my first book, Letters to My Yesterday. Right, okay. They're publishing that for me. Um, well, they bought it and that's coming out in October. Oh. And the reason I, yeah, the reason I thanked them is because that first book, I don't know, that came out three years ago and it was such, um, it was just a bizarre experience. Like it didn't sell very well. I was very proud of it because it was very close to my heart. It was um, a family kind of story. My great-grandmother is in it and it was beautiful. And when it was Random House Germany that bought it and they wrote this beautiful email to me um, to explain why they were buying it and they just said the most beautiful things to the point where I was like, is this my book? Like are, they, are we having some confusion here? Like, you know, it was so gorgeous. Yeah. And, and that was something I came back to because I had a lot of self-doubt in between my first book and my second, um, sorry, in between my first and the women's circle, I wrote a second book. Mm. Um, I got an agent. It went out to all publishers and got rejected from absolutely everyone. So there was a lot of um, questioning of, oh, God, like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Do I really want to keep going through this kind of rejection? Because it is so painful. And I would come back to that letter that that beautiful editor wrote me. So that's why I put her in the acknowledgements because her words really did lift me up I was like no I can do this I can do it you know this is what someone sees in the words and and same thing with beautiful reviews for that first book too that really lifted me up and helped me um try again and you know just put that second book away and start again so this third book was really bits and pieces like I said I'd written Ashleen's story Mm. I wrote it first as a short story and then went back to it and and thought okay I can do a full novel here um, but I got really stuck. I think I got to about 15,000 words. And I was like, that's actually all I can do out of this book. It's just such a painful world to be in. I don't know if I want to do a whole book here. So I thought it might be a nice, um, I could lighten it by making it a dual timeline and having another storyline. So it probably is about a stretch of about two or three years of the different parts of this story that kind of came together. But once I had that trip to Bali and I got Anna's storyline, it came out quite fast after that, that first draft. Oh, my God, so much to unpack from what you just said there. So because <laughs> I, I guess you kind of know now, like, the, the the crux of what I always like to talk about or what the show is sort of founded on is uh, is the period that people find themselves in, that sort of crossroad as to, you know, what am I doing? You've kind of alluded to it. You know, do I keep going? Do I give up? Because it's just too much. So was it that period then where you found that it was this this sort of like, oh, God, do I give up now? And if so, because you kind of alluded to it, but you gave a very brief overview. What was it that kind of that was the moment that you you faced and you potentially could have immediately put down the pen and or digital equivalent and never continued, but you prevailed and then that ultimately got to us discussing the out in the world when the circle now? Yeah. Yeah. I remember definitely saying that's it. I'm done. And I did just stop for a few months and was like, no, I'm not going to write anymore. And then I just, I miss, you know, all authors, they just love writing so much. I missed it so much. And then I just truly said to myself, I I just kind of had a realization that it was all my own expectations that was Mm -hmm. causing me pain. It was because I thought that when I get an agent, I should get a book published. Like it was all these expectations I'd made up myself. And because they didn't happen, that's where all the disappointment and pain came from. No one said to me, hey, you've had a first book, you've got an agent, you should now. You know, no one said that to me. It was me doing it all. So when I had that realisation, I was like, well, I can reset my expectations then. Like I've got the power to do that. And it's all about perception anyway. If if I just write because I love writing and I just write this story and I'll print it out for my friends and family, myself at Officeworks, will I still be happy with that? And the answer was yes. I came to myself and I went, yes, I'm still going to do it. I don't care if it gets published or not. I'll print it out and I'll enjoy it just for that magic of writing a scene and it all coming through and, you know, feeling the characters. It was all worth it. And Yeah, so I think because I went into it without those heavy expectations, it all flowed a lot easier this time. Oh, that's like I can so get behind what you're saying in terms of that because, like, I I am 100% I have been there and um, very, very much know it intimately in terms of um, that that sensation of what am I doing it for and then just having that that watershed sort of moment. I wish I could use a less trite term than that, but just going, yes, actually, <laughs> what am I doing this for? 
just get back to the love of the writing and then, you know, come what may. And that's just, that just seems to be the best way to go about it. And yeah, yeah I've been doing that for a while and it seems to be going, it seems to be going quite well because the, the other stuff, um, especially in your type situation as well, because I feel like, you know, the general consensus and touch wood, I'm not, I'm not at that point as yet with the, um, with the first uh, hugely successful man book, a long listed novel, but um, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that, that's 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 kind of the one of the roughest and most intense tumultuous parts is because then you then you've got this feeling of well what's my what's going to happen to my second like you know and you're obviously diligently working on that and you're like well is this going to be accepted is it going to do well like you know are people going to suddenly hate it because it's slightly different to the other one it's not it's not an exact carbon copy it's tough it's yeah. tough so I don't know Karen, one thing I always like to know about then is, is what advice would you sort of give to yourself back then when you were undergoing this sort of uh this this real tough period if you could have yeah. this sort of foresight what would you do you think you would have said to yourself then I don't know I think I would still let myself go through it to be honest because mm. I think it was just a lesson I needed to know so that I could have because releasing this book was really joyful like I even though it was it was one week into lockdown and the launch was online instead, all of that. It was so joyful because I didn't have that expectation. I, and I'm so glad I learned that. So I think I would just still let myself go through it to enjoy what I've enjoyed now because understanding, I think just understanding that it's all our own perception because you know as a writer that you can, you know, you can get carried away with your goals sometimes. I know I can. I can be like, I'm working so hard on this. This is my dream. I'm going to do this, this, and this to get there. And does it really matter at the end? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. does it really matter when you've got that different perception? So for this, for the women's circle, like, does it matter if I sell 100 copies? Does it matter if I sell 1,000 copies? Whatever it is, if I feel the same, about both if I feel amazing that I've sold 100 copies and that fills me with joy there's no difference do you know what I mean so I think when you take all of those expectations away and you have this open perception where it's like I'm just going to celebrate the book I wrote it it's out there people are reading it yeah and just not hold too tightly onto anything you know like um, good reviews or bad reviews like I appreciate good reviews so much but if I hold on to them really tightly, then I also have to hold on to my bad reviews really tightly because it's kind of they come together, you know. Whereas if I just celebrate the book, yeah, it's a nicer place to be, I think. Celebrating the book is like such a good way of putting it like that line because I think it's just uh, it's a case of, yeah, getting like there's, there's one term which doesn't really make sense, but I, I feel like resonates with me. It's just not getting inside your head too much. I mean, it just makes no sense because <laughs> you, you, you really, it's impossible to not be in your head. You live there. Yeah. <laughs> but to not be in this situation where like what you talked about, where you're, you know, you're thinking about this sort of stuff and just the, just celebrating. And I really like the way you put that going. It's just celebrating the novel uh, for what it is. Yeah. Just writing the story that I feel that you, that you want to write, that you envisioned in your, your mind's eye kind of thing. And then the rest just following on from there. Cause it's just so, and I think a lot of it as well, and you've kind of touched on it too, is it's just being like everyone's like all writers, you know, you're, I think you're guest 37 that I've spoken to in the past, you know, year. And the main thing that I get is everyone is, is so supportive of others, but can be so harsh with oneself you know, and it's this this duality of the of this this person's character. Yeah, this rightly spirit is is being nice to others and supportive, and then being so not cruel, but just so harsh to oneself. Absolutely. You know, we're our own worst enemies in a lot of ways. And I think because writing is a really vulnerable thing to do, mm. so I think it's pretty hard not to be hard on yourself sometimes because you are kind of putting, like, as much as it's a story and it's characters, it's still part of you and you are yeah. kind of putting it out in the world. And I think unless you consciously kind of separate yourself from it, it yeah, it can be painful. It <laughs> really hard. can. Not so much painful, really uncomfortable, I guess, is the word. Really uncomfortable. It really can. But, I mean, it's just something that, like, it's 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 beyond, like, the sort of compulsion you've kind of talked about, like, some spiritual elements of, you know, and you're... What, what sort of drives you, but it's, you know, it's something that I can resonate with as well in terms of it's something that you kind of um, 
without getting too lofty in my sort of uh, trying to explain how I feel. It's just this, you know, it drives you. Yeah. And like you, you mentioned, like you said that you went several months without writing and you, you came back to it because you just, yeah. you couldn't not. Yeah. Like it's just something that you were going to say something or like it's just something that just compels you. I feel. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of writers, they just feel lost. They don't know how else to explain. I know that's how I feel. I just feel very lost and not myself if I'm not writing something or working on something. What's been going on with you when it comes to, to, to this weird lockdown period as well? Like, because, <laughs> like, cause, cause has, the, has the launch taken place for the Women's Circle or is it not as yeah. yet? It, it happened. Um, so it was booked in for uh, Better Red Than Dead. The yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were lovely. They switched it to an online version because um, yep. it was kind of, I think that was the first week of lockdown. Um, so we had an online one, which was still really fun. I set the room up like this and, you know, it was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, but, yeah, lockdown, I didn't think I was going to write in this part because I actually started a new job right as lockdown started as well. as it I, just, I did that last year, teacher. actually, yeah. Did you? Yes, yes. Weird. And then you just weird. had to work from home? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Keep yeah. going. Sorry, sorry. I really interrupt you. Keep oh, going. weird. Yeah, like because I've been a casual and like part-time teacher for years, but I took on like a full-time block for the rest of the year at this really cute little school thinking, oh, this is nice. I know this class really well. We're going to have a great two terms. And then it turned into home learning. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm feeling good about it now. It's kind of taken a while. But, yeah, it's been it's been full on, but same thing I said, I'm not going to write during this. It's just too full on. Got my own kids to help as well, but I felt weird. I felt strange. And so I, I started, I started a new project and I've just changed my writing habits. I've just been writing on the weekend, which I never usually, I didn't used to do that. Um, and yeah, it just makes me feel like myself again. When I oh my God. That's so nice to hear. That's so good. That's so good. That's so good. That's so good. Seriously, that's so good because because it's just like you're balancing all these different components and like you know like I don't have it that bad in terms of you know I work a full time job. I don't have children. Um, and it just you know like even so there's there's still the juggling act and the balancing of you know finding time to write and stuff like that. But you have your full time job, your children. (laughs) your husband and, <laughs> and your situation and you do it all and you do it definitely. And that's so really good to hear, particularly, particularly. And again, this kind of harkens back to what we've sort of touched on there, which is, is, is you know, the, the fire in you to keep wanting to write and having to write. It's like this compulsion and yeah, that's so good to hear Karen. Fantastic. So you're working on something new now as well. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I've started, I've got a good chunk of the, the draft kind of done um yeah and I'm liking it and I think that you know yeah it is kind of tricky to make time for it but at the same time overall it's better for me because I I feel better when I'm writing a bit um I'd end up just wasting my time doing dumb stuff anyway like looking (laughs) on Instagram or doing whatever I may as well spend my time writing so yeah it's good and it's only you know even if I write just for one or two hours each day on the weekend to me that yeah it makes me feel good so well, it all adds up though. Like that's the thing I feel oh. with writing though. Is it all sort of, you know, it all sort of adds up and stuff like that. And I think that there's there's so many talented people out there that um, you know, you'll you'll read a little bit of their stuff and they'll only have a few, you know, thousand words or fifteen hundred words here and there, and you're like, keep going, you know, keep going. Yeah. And they'll be like, Oh, it's just it's just like it's just too long. It's too long. A novel's too long, hundred thousand words, eighty thousand words. And I'm like, I promise you, if you keep going like this, it just it's like a snowball, you know, at the time it doesn't seem much, but you do it a few days a week and then boom, it just, it just erupts like that. Absolutely. And you'll always get to a point in a draft where you can't stop. Like that will mm. always happen to a writer, I think, where, you know, you sit down for an hour and you're sitting there for four or five hours. Um, there'll always be that point where that happens, I think. So it definitely does all that up. 100%. That's so true. All right. Well, look, we've talked a little bit about advice that you give to your, to give to yourself. Let's let's close with a nice, uh, generic, but a uh, good question. I always find because again, there's no two answers the same. Any sort of uh, would be writers, aspiring writers that listen to this podcast, and I think there's a few. What advice would you give to them, Karen, as to to how to progress? Or what, what advice do you reckon that would benefit the most? I think um, my number one practical advice is to definitely. Get professional feedback on your manuscript. I think that money is so well spent to get like um, a beta reader or a manuscript assessment, something like that, because 
that feedback is just priceless with you then going on to do your edits. And I think it's so helpful for me. I've always done that at kind of not the first draft, probably the second draft. I've gone through it myself first to find those major mistakes. It's just, I just think it speeds up your editing process because they'll be able to point out so many things to you. So that's my number one practical advice. And then the second thing is just really, truly be kind to yourself. Like um, be realistic with your expectations, but still have that it's kind of a funny balance because you want that bubbling kind of excitement within you. Like I've written a book, I'm going to get out in the world. You want that to be alive within you, you know, and to hope and have all of that. But then also just be kind of open. Like, you know, I want this to get the best publisher possible or I want this to find its readers or whatever it is, you know, just kind of be open and be kind and do other things that make you happy as well so that you're feeling good. Um when you put that book out for submission or when it's going to people to read. Yeah. Such good advice. So many, so many different little gems there. Those so that's so good advice. What I haven't heard very often um as well. I mean like the the professional professional editors professional like that's the professional mentors yeah. is so good as as such as such a such a such a good thing as well. Um yeah. uh mainly because I guess they're um, you could you could give it to friends, you can give it to family, and they're going to do everything they can to try and help you as much as possible. But they're going to be really nice because they know they, they see. will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I so mean, true. people have. That's because I'm not in a writers group. I think if you're in a writers group, that mm. really helps because they're obviously in that profession. Um, yeah, so I've always kind of had to pay somebody to do that, but I feel like yeah, it's been the best money I've spent <laughs> doing that. Yeah, for sure. Sure. Karen, look, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We went into some, we went into some I kind of felt like we traveled a little bit through the outer <laughs> extremities of the galaxy. They were weighing up some of these sort of ineffable sort of human conditions yeah. there and the, the the interesting nature of the human psyche. So look, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for letting me read the women's circle and talking to me tonight on the show. Thank you so much for your wonderful questions. I've really had a lot of fun diving into all of that. It was a lot of fun. So th- and thanks for having this platform as well. Um, it takes a long, it takes a lot of organizing to have a podcast and, you know, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Greatly appreciate it as well. Thank you. So everyone, there you have it. That was Karen Sepulveda talking to me on the program about her book, The Women's Circle, her novel, The Women's Circle. Uh, so huge thanks again to Karen for talking to us on this Friday evening. And as per usual, uh, as you guys have all come to expect, I'll put into the bio slash description of this particular episode the link to Karen's publisher, uh, Ventura Press, city-based Ventura Press, so that you can get a copy of The Women's Circle along with some other great titles from them there uh, via that link I'm going to provide within this description. So check that out. Uh, again, as always, can't give you I can't give you more or enough of a thank you and gratitude for listening to this particular episode as well as all other episodes. If you haven't already, please be sure to follow the program on Spotify and also go back to that backlog that's checking, uh, that's that's starting to really build up there. I think that's by, I'm not going to say by my account, but the last time I looked at Spotify, there was something around to the tune of 36 to 37 episodes thus far of the program. Uh, and we haven't even gotten to, or when I say we, I mean me, uh, hasn't gotten to the first birthday yet of the Right Way podcast program, but that is coming up mid to late November time, I think, or October. So that uh, so we might have to do some sort of fanfare or some sort of uh, event for that within some capacity to celebrate this uh, milestone landmark occasion for me, for your old pal Sam, as well as the program itself. So stay tuned for that. But uh, yeah, again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Check out the rest of the catalogue. Spread the word, tell your friends. I noticed that you are doing that. I'm simply getting a lot of follows on the respective uh, Instagram and Facebook pages, as well as a constantly kind of proliferating listenership as well. So can't thank you enough for that. Truly mean it. That's not hyperbole. I greatly appreciate it. Keep listening. I've got a whole bunch more episodes coming up and I really, really appreciate it. And yeah, thank you. Stay safe. Get jabbed if you haven't already and support your local bookshops, particularly with an onus on Sydney and Melbourne at the moment. Uh, You borrow your books from there. And yeah, thank you. Have a pleasant and safe evening.